This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for February 12, 2023. The title of the message is, To Live is Christ, An Introduction to Philippians. Good morning. It's always a blessing to stand before you and open God's Word and uh, and preach it, and and uh, I just don't want to take that for granted ever. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me to the book of Philippians, Paul's epistle to the Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. If you um, don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can follow along. I'll just read the first uh, couple of verses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his help. Our Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, would you speak to us in your word? Would you give us your Holy Spirit to to apply that word to our hearts and our minds? Help us to have a sense of what it means and, and, and how to live it out in our lives. Lord, would you be with me, your servant, that your Holy Spirit would empower my words and that your people by faith then would hear the words of their, their Lord and Savior. Bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. We start a new series. We uh, finished a, uh, a topical series on the armor of God, and I hope it was a blessing to you. And now we embark on a new series through the book of Philippians, one of my very favorite books in the Bible. Um, and it's so hard. I mean, it's, it's almost like every, I mean, technically every book should be one of your favorites. Um, but I chose Philippians for a few reasons, uh, some that are near and dear to my heart and some that I, I think may be near and dear to your heart as well. Uh, One of the reasons that I chose Philippians is because it contains one of my most favorite verses, one that if if you've ever talked to me uh, about anything for, uh, I don't know, maybe five or ten minutes, usually I quote this verse, uh, for for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that uh, it's such a short and pithy passage, but yet so much is packed into it. It's, It's one of those verses that just crystallizes everything uh, in, in, in just so short uh, number of words. And I think many of you uh, can say the same thing about other verses in Philippians. Um, you know, some of the most, um, some of the verses uh, in Philippians that you memorize as a child and, and stay with you and are, are appropriate for various 
circumstances in your life, uh, when you're anxious. Uh, maybe you, you quote uh, Paul in, in chapter 3 and 4 where he says, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, uh, a supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And, uh, and the peace of God that um, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, for there are just so many, and we'll be going over those in the, in the next uh, couple of months. Another reason I think Christians love Philippians is that it is uh, characterized as the epistle of Christian joy. That is one of the, it is one of the few uh, of the Pauline epistles that Paul is not uh, addressing a controversy in his letter. I mean, you've got Romans and you have Galatians. Uh, there's deep uh, controversies going on there, and Paul is pushing back, and he is, he is making a theological case and calling people out on divisions or, or theological errors that they are partaking in, or even heresies. Uh, Philippians, you get a little bit of that, but primarily it's, it's a positive letter encouraging the people of Philippi, pointing them to Christian joy. And, and so Paul, for the, for the most part, is writing to a, a healthy and happy congregation with relatively minor problems. And, and because of that, I think we, we really resonate and gravitate towards, towards that kind of, of letter. Here, Paul sets out a vision of the Christian life that inspires us to rejoice then in every circumstance and the love of Jesus ever more deeply uh, in those circumstances. This morning, as we begin our study through Philippians, I hope we can experience and rejoice in the life that we have in Christ. It's something that I think maybe we take for granted. You know, we go to the Lord for help and problems. We go to the Lord for wisdom. We go to the Lord maybe out of habit, maybe out of rote uh, 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 actions, maybe it's just something that we do, but I wonder if we just step back for a moment and say, you know what, you know, is my Christian life filled with joy in Christ? Or is it something that I, I think is drudgery? To read the Bible, to pray, to wake up and come to church, is it drudgery? Or is it something in which you can say, you know, I, I don't have to go to church, but I get to go to church. Um, that we love the Lord Jesus Christ so much that everything we do, we do uh, out of joy and gratitude rather than, uh, you know, do I have to? So that then, you know, when we truly understand the depth of God's love for us in Christ, the, the joy then that we ought to feel, that we will experience that joy. Uh, that, that we can come to a point in our lives where we can say with Paul, right, uh, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, sometimes I think we, we say to ourselves that intellectually, but you know, if you looked at your life or if other people looked at your life or you looked at other people's life, it would be something like, for me to live is work, and to die is sadness. Uh, for me to live is 
having a nice house, a nice retirement account, uh, um, food on the table, roof over my head. That's life. And to die is to lose it all. Uh, some of us might be, for me to live is, and then and just, you know, whatever the blank, you fill it in. Um, and that death is seen as, as, uh, as losing that. Or is the gospel so, is so life-changing? It resonates with, with the depth of who you are to such an extent that you can say, for me to live is Christ. That my life is so intertwined with Jesus's that I cannot imagine my life without him. So that everything I do is saturated and permeated with Christ in me. Uh, and that's what my life is all about. And that, and that the, the gospel of grace is so amazing that even to die then is to gain Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in the, few week, in the coming weeks as well. But, um, you know, when I began reading the book of Philippians, uh, for the very first time, I thought, man, this is crazy stuff. Well, what is Paul saying here? I mean, if you really, really, you know, peeled away, you know, all the, the, um, the Hallmark card verses that are in there, you just read what Paul is actually saying about the Christian life, and you compare that with your own, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it, in some ways, you wonder, like, why, why don't I have that kind of joy? Why can't I rejoice in the Lord in the midst of my trials? Why am I so fixated on what I don't have rather than what I do have in Christ? Um, and, and so this morning, I hope that as we begin uh, studying the book of Philippians, that, that uh, those areas in your life where you, where you can't say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I, I hope that this will be an opportunity for you to really examine your life and ask yourself why. Why is Jesus not that important to me? Why can't I have that Christian joy uh, that Paul exudes here from every word in, in the book of Philippians, in this, four, in this very short four-chapter book that probably takes up two to three pages in your Bible, yet it is filled with such joy that I hope that as we go through it, you cannot, be, you cannot help but be filled with that same joy. And then you can say, you know, you can, you can rejoice in the Lord and say that for me to live is Christ, uh, to die is gain. So let me begin with an introduction to the book of Philippians. Uh, I, I want us to see first that the Apostle Paul, along with Timothy, wrote uh, to the Philippian church, probably around uh, 80, 62, between 82 and, uh, 62 and, and, eight, and 64. And he's writing in prison, uh, in a Roman prison. Uh, and this is why Philippians is considered one of the four prison epistles, along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. He, he is in chains in this dark, dungy uh, prison. Uh, and some people think that he's probably, he might also have written this 
when he was under house arrest. And that's, that's probably possible. But, but the fact that he's in, imprisoned uh, in a Roman jail or, or surrounded by Roman guards, um, it is not the, the most positive of circumstances. But yet he writes uh, and he calls Christians to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, right? Uh, and so what we see here is this idea of, of joy in the Lord that transcends our circumstances. Uh, that there's something about the Christian life and, the, and the, the grace of God in Christ that ought to give us a joy that is completely and totally set apart from our circumstances. That there's nothing in our circumstances that could ever rob us of our joy. Ten times he, he says over and over again, um, uh, uh, joy in the Lord or rejoice in the Lord, all the while writing from prison, uh, for the gospel. Paul continues on and he talks about he talks about the joy that he has in Christ and then he talks about uh, how it's rooted in Christ. That he literally means, you know, take joy in the Lord. Anchor your happiness, anchor your, your, your joy in Christ, not in the things of this world. And you get to see an example of that in Paul's letter here. It's also a joy that is so full and so rich that, that Paul can say, for, for to me, to live is Christ. Uh, it's all about Christ so that even dying becomes gain. Now, that's something that... that uh, I hope we will all strive for, uh, that your life would be so centered on Christ that, that death is, is seen as gain, uh, however that might manifest itself in our lives. A joy that transcends our pride and self-righteousness to where we are nothing because Jesus is everything. Paul has such a radically Christ-centered vision of his life that he can say after listing all of his worldly and religious academic accomplishments, he can say, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Um, So who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the Philippian church that he helped start in his second missionary journey uh, in the book of Acts, uh, particularly in Acts 16. And and the church at Philippi is Paul's first European church. It was a Roman city on the southern coast of Greece on the Aegean Sea. It was also literally an extension of Rome uh, in the land of Greece, culturally, legally, and politically. Um. Everyone spoke in Latin. They dressed like those in Rome. They even called it uh, a new Rome. It, the, the architecture, the layout was all modeled after uh, Rome. And uh, it was so closely tied. It had a special status where if you were born within that city, you had all the rights and privileges of citizenship as if you were born in Rome. 
and so they they had a, they weren't taxed, uh, they weren't treated in the same way as the surrounding cities of Greece. Uh, it was an outpost, literally, of Rome in, in another land. And if you also remember, this is where Paul came across a prayer meeting next to a river with Lydia and other God-fearing women praying to the Lord. And when, he, when Paul and Silas and, and the others heard them, they went and talked to them. And shared the gospel with them. And the Lord opened up Lydia's heart so that she would put her faith in Christ. And thus began the first convert uh, on European soil. And the beginning of, of the Philippian church. And then there was a slave girl possessed by a fortune-telling spirit who was, you know, who, who Paul, we kept following Paul and, and just, you know, uh, proclaiming, you know, uh, who Jesus was, but it was not the right tone, and, and the person, and the slave girl wasn't converted. She was just, you know, trying to undermine Paul's ministry, if you remember, and Paul just got sick of it, and then he, you know, he told her, you know, um, get out of her, and, and, you know, and claimed the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was converted. And so the fortune-telling spirit was taken away from her, and her slave owner, her owners realized that they lost a lot of money and they got very angry. And so they riled up a crowd to go and arrest Paul and the others. And then if you remember when he was in jail, the earth shook and all the chains fell off and the doors opened and Paul and the others were still in the jail and the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because if, if anyone escaped, you know, their fate was sealed, right? And Paul says, wait, wait, don't kill yourself. We're still here. We're not going to leave. And as a result of that, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember? And Paul shared the gospel with him, and then he was converted. And then all of him and his he brought Paul and the others to his home, and they shared the gospel with his household. And then Paul baptized uh, the Philippian jailer and his household the way that he did with Lydia and her household. And then all of these people then met together at Lydia's house, and it became the core group for this church in Philippi. And they had been supporting and, and encouraging Paul throughout his ministry uh, in Europe. And so Paul is writing a, a thank you letter that's why it's filled with such joy that he's writing because they sent Epaphroditus to Paul to give him gifts uh, to help sustain him. Maybe it was food. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was clothing. And Epaphroditus is going back now to the Philippians, and Paul wrote them a letter saying how much he appreciated it and how much uh, he, he loved them and, and to thank them for it. And so Paul writes to encourage them in their Christian generosity. And then, you know, he implores Euodia and Syntyche, two women who are disagreeing about something. And he says, you know, have the same mind. Humble yourselves. Uh, and don't let these disagreements uh, cause division within the church. Those are, the, those are the ones to whom Paul is writing this letter. And, and it's so applicable to you and to me. Um, 
that uh, it's not just for the Philippians, but it's for every church that has and wants to have seek deeper joy in the Lord and, and how that looks in the life of a congregation. So what are some of the prominent themes in the book of Philippians? You can't read Philippians uh, without seeing the joy that permeates from Paul's letter. And even though he's imprisoned in a Roman jail, he, exu- he exudes a joy that nothing can take away. We love talking about peace in the Christian life, you know, a peace that transcends our circumstances. But I think we need to also include joy and see it in the same way, that we need to look, dig deep into our hearts and into our faith and understand the gospel in such a way that not only ought we to have peace in every circumstance, but joy in every circumstance. And now I'm not saying that we have to, um, you know, be this, you know, we have to overlook real suffering and difficulty. But even within our hardships and through the veil of tears, we can still have joy. And, um, and, and, we have, and I think we can do that as we understand what Paul is saying here. Paul calls us to gospel joy uh, no matter our circumstances. And in Philippians 2, he writes that even if he were to die, that he could rejoice in the gospel, and so can you. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. Uh, Another theme is humility in the Lord. Now, we can't be sure what was going on here, but there might have been some kind of disagreement. And so what does Paul give as the remedy to that disagreement? He calls us to unity through humility in Christ. And he says this, amidst, their dis, uh, amidst the, the disagreements, maybe between Yodia and Syntyche, and maybe uh, among other parties in the church, but he's, he calls the people of Philippi, the church at Philippi, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is, by the way, the, one of the most important passages on the preexistence of Christ, his deity and his humanity, as well as hum, his humiliation and his humility. Um, that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant. That Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, to become a Son of Man. That even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he laid down his divine prerogatives to take upon our weak humanity and to take on the, the servant, to be a servant to, to save his people. And that humility then becomes a rallying point for the people of God. That the reason why we all get into arguments is because we think ourselves better than everyone else. We think that we're right and others are wrong. 
We want our way and, and they need to fall in line rather than counting others more important than yourself. Humbling yourself to serve others. Right? I mean, think about all the arguments that you've ever been in with your spouse, with others in your church, in, in our church, just in any circumstance. You fight because you want your way. You want someone to bend their knee to you rather than you humble yourself to serve others. Do you see that? How do we do that? Do we just tell people, you know what? Just give them their way. Give them whatever they want. No. The true gospel-centered way is to humble yourself as Jesus did. He was God, but yet he came to serve us. Right? The Son of Man came not to be served, not to serve, but to be served, and to give his life, to lay it down as a ransom for many. And it is out of that same mind and spirit that we ought to do that for others, out of love. In humility, we count others more important than ourselves and look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That we won't fight trying to be right or get our own way, but like Jesus, uh, serve. Friends, brothers and sisters, I don't know, maybe you're having some trouble in your own relationships. Uh, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your children, maybe your coworkers, maybe within our church. The book of Philippians has so much to tell you, and we're going to go into that in more detail, but, but let me just start right here. I, can't t- I, I think so many disagreements would just melt away if we humbled ourselves the way that Jesus did. Count others more important than us and not try to get our way and, and try to make others bend their knee to us to serve rather than to be served. And, and be willing to say, you know what? I don't have to have my way. Uh, because, you know, my life and, and, and my relationship is not built upon being right, but on serving the other person. Another theme is not only joy in Christ and, and humility in Christ, but what it means to live in Christ. Paul gives us a radical picture of what it means to be in Christ and how, how it ought to shape the way that we live and how we think about ourselves. What is the most important thing in your life? What is the driving force of your life? What is it that makes you tick? What is the thing that, abs- that you absolutely live for and you can't live without? What is that one thing that you must have in order to be happy? How does that one thing then shape your life, to to have that one thing and build your whole life around it? What does that look like? How does it shape our priorities, our decisions, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how what we dream about, what we love, what we live for, what we die for? What is that one thing? Paul tells us what that one thing ought to be. And he gives it in his own life, and he encourages us to have it in our life. That one thing, to live Christ. Literally, he says to live 
Christ, to die, gain. That's the one thing that he lived for and he calls us to. In which that one thing, if we don't have it, we're not truly, truly, deeply happy. And to build our whole lives around that one thing, Jesus. And then he goes on to share with us how much Christ is better than even his own life. How death is gain. He says this in Philippians 1, and 23. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Let me ask this question. Do you think, and I'm not saying that you you ought to want to die, or, you know, it's not like you, you know, um, you know, Lord, let me die soon. I'm not saying that. But if you were to die, Would you consider it something better to gain Christ, to be with him in glory? Right? And that this life ought to be, this, the way that we live our lives and everything, in the end, we ought to consider being in heaven with Christ far better. And that the Lord keeps us here so that we can serve him and to do that which he's called us to do and to experience the joy of serving him until we get to that point. But, um, you know, it just, re- it just reminds us, it just takes us back to what we're living for. Because what, what you live for is what you are, are willing to die for. And what you die for, what you're willing to die for is what you are living for now. And so I just want you to really think about that. Consider that. Whatever gain I had, Paul says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's, you know what? It, it, on, this, on one level, it's like amazing Christian testimony. But if you're struggling with how important Christ is to you, you're going to listen to that and you're going to be like, I, I, love, I love my car, I love my job, I love my life, I love my, my, uh, my money, I love all the things that I have. Um, but I don't know if I can really call it rubbish in, in, in comparison to Christ. Uh, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe... Maybe Christ is, a, is, is, is not as important. And maybe, maybe Christ is rubbish to you. And all the things that, that you accumulate for yourself, maybe that's what you think is gain. That's what you think is most important in your life. And if you had a choice between Jesus and all the stuff that you've accumulated, you could be, just be honest with yourself. I'd rather choose the stuff that I have. And Jesus is just kind of like that. I'm just hedging my bets at the end of history when Jesus returns. But what I want to encourage you and call you to right now is, um, is would you set your heart, at least consider how, how much greater Jesus is than anything else you could ever have in this life. And that you would indeed see everything as rubbish. I'm not saying it is rubbish, but to see it as rubbish because, you know, you can let it go. And at the end of your life, you're going to lose it anyway. 
right? Someone else is going to have to to clear everything out of your house. Someone else is going to be taking your, your inheritance. You can't take it with you. But Jesus, you can have forever. And he is far more of worth than anything this whole world put together. Count them as rubbish in order that you may gain Christ. Because as, as, as long as you don't count it as rubbish, Jesus is not worth that much. But when you see the infinite worth of Jesus, then you can be able to let go of things. The last theme I want to point you to uh, is your salvation in Christ. That Paul's true gain in the gospel is the gain of righteousness and life in Christ through faith. A righteousness that is not of his own, but a righteousness that comes by faith, through faith. And this is what it means to be saved in Christ so that we can become like him and to rejoice in him. It's the salvation we have in Christ as we trust, not in ourselves, not anything that we have done or anything good in us, but in Christ alone. And later on, we're going to see that Paul had a lot of things going for him. He was smart, religious, righteous according to the law. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and yet he calls it all rubbish in comparison to what he gains in Christ. And that's what it means to be saved by grace and not by works, to receive it by faith and not try to earn it for yourself. My invitation to you as we embark on our journey through Philippians is to ask you a few questions and consider it as we go. On what basis do you think God receives you? On what basis do you, do you think God loves you? Why do you think God saved you and called you to be his child? Is it something in you? Your relative goodness? You're, you're a good person, you think? Your accomplishments? You're nicer than the next person? That's all nice, but, but you're not perfect. And that's what God requires. Absolute moral perfection. You have to be absolutely good without one hint of sin. You can't fall short at all of God's perfect glory. You will never be good enough. But the gospel says, yeah, that's right. That's right. You will never be good enough. But in the gospel, Jesus was good enough for you. In fact, he was perfect. And if you put your trust in him, his, his righteous record becomes yours as if you had done it. Just as if you had never sinned and just as if you had always done what was right. Every single moment of your life. That it, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ's righteousness in your life. And it is based upon that and that alone that you are saved. That God loves you. That God loved you so much that Jesus had to die for you. And God loves you so much that Jesus was glad to die for you. And one who loved you so much in such a way To gain him is to gain everything. 
The gospel is this. Whatever gain you have, is, it ought to become loss. But in the gospel, if you count it as loss, then you will gain Christ. And if you gain Christ, then you gain everything and infinitely more in him. Let me close with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this, Jesus is our joy and our happiness, even as he is our peace. He is life. He is everything. So avoid the incitements and the temptations of Satan to give feelings this great prominence at the center. Put at the center the only one who has a right to be there, the Lord of glory, who so loved you that he went to the cross and bore the punishment and the shame of your sins and died for you. Seek him, seek his face, and all other things shall be added unto you. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth uh, contained in your word. Lord, as we go through the book of Philippians, Lord, teach us, teach us what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. Teach us to rejoice in the Lord always. Teach us to count everything as rubbish, everything as lost, to gain Christ and to be found in him. Lord, change us so that we can, that Philippians would resonate in our hearts and we would exude the joy of Jesus in everything we do and everything that we are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.